Hey everyone, welcome to the Revivals Family Podcast, where we discuss what God's doing on college campuses and the need for prayer, family, and revival. Welcome back to another episode of Revival's Family. I'm here with Daniel Grenz. Hey, everybody. And our special guest today, Matt Lockett. Hey there. Welcome, Matt. Matt hails us from D.C. Don't and, hold it against me. Uh, we're trying not to, honestly. <laughs> um, but Matt is a dear brother, friend, leads J-Hop D.C., Justice House of Prayer D.C., among other things. Um, author of the book Dream King. Powerful book. The story... Um, I, I won't ruin it for you guys, but but powerful story of Matt and Will Ford and just their journey, their family's journey. I mean, mm-hmm. such a yeah. cool story that you have to read for yourself, but mm. we're excited to have Matt here yeah. with us today. Yeah. It's great to be with you guys today. Thanks. Um, Matt, um, we, we so love... I, give us a snippet on, on Dream King because I, I'm sure people are wondering, what's this book yeah, about? Yeah, you kind of teased that one out a little bit. Yeah, I can't, can't not mention it, but... <laughs> The Dream King, uh, the subtitle is How the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is Being Fulfilled to Heal Racism in America. And so uh, the story in a nutshell is that I met a man in a prayer meeting. I'm, I'm a white guy. I met an African-American man in a prayer meeting. Will uh, Ford. In, Will Ford. In 2005, we actually met on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial uh, on Martin Luther King Day. It was a prayer meeting, though. We were there, and uh, he had been led to that place by a dream. And oddly enough, I was there because I had had a dream, not like a vision for the future, but more like you fell asleep at night and yeah. <laughs> had, had a weird dream, and pizza, you know, didn't get the credit for it. God was talking to us. And so God led us to the same place at the same time on the same day. And and we struck up a friendship there, and he has this amazing story uh, that's been passed down through his family uh, who were slaves in America, and the story has to do with how they would pray in secret. And they have this uh, artifact from the past, a big cast iron kettle pot that they used practically during the day for cooking and cleaning, but at night they would turn it upside down and pray underneath it, and it would muffle their voices wow. so that they could pray in secret, and they were praying for the next generation. Because they didn't believe they'd see freedom in their time. And so I was listening to that story when I met him, and it was shocking to me because I didn't know my family history. It had been lost, didn't, couldn't get past my dad's grandfather. And then uh, we struck up this friendship, and we started praying and running together, and we were praying for revival in America, praying for the healing of racism, uh, racial healing for this nation. Amen. And we did that for about a decade. And then, lo and behold, we found out that the last battle of the Civil War had occurred in my ancestors, the Lockett family, my ancestors' front yard in Virginia. It was this amazing discovery because now I had this artifact from the past too. But the story kind of thickened when we found out that uh, it was actually my family that had owned Will's family as slaves. So we have this historic thread that's spanning at least a couple hundred years Hmm. where you have uh, a people in bondage praying for freedom and then God answers the prayers of those slaves by going back to the the front yard of the family who had owned them and he ends slavery right there and because he's the God of the past, the present and the future, 
he looks forward and he says, I'm going to weave together two sons from those same family lines to war against injustice in their day too. And so, so wild. Here we are. Wow. Yeah. How fitting that is for our moment that we find ourselves in today. Yeah. That, you know, this isn't something that you guys could have crafted or a book that you wrote, you know, for this moment, but, but this narrative that predates your lives and, and really the history that the Lord had put in place, you know, some 150 years ago. Yeah. God, God just revealed to us what he had already been working on. So we're actually just stepping in uh, to be the answer to somebody else's prayers, but we're realizing now that we're praying. And so there's going to be another generation that's going to step yeah. in and be answers to our prayers as well. So good. And, and I think it highlights how, you know, you and Will met in 2005, which was about 10 years before this current season yeah. of intense racial struggle has resurfaced. I mean, as intense as it's ever been since the sixties That's right, and, and maybe even surpassing in some ways. And it's like God preemptively out of his jealousy for the healing of this land, he brought you and will together for not just for the brotherhood, for the two of you, but really to chart the course for the next generation. Yeah. That's really kind of terrifying when you put it that way, but, it, but it is like, you know, just a pull from scripture. You have Esther showing up at the scene on the scene in a moment and Mordecai, her, her adoptive father, her spiritual father is saying to her and her generation, it is for such a time as this mm-hmm. that you've been put in this place. And I think that this is a story that's for such a time as this. Wow. I'm thinking about the young person on a college campus who, you know, just graduated from high school, you know, in the midst of college and, and none of us were prepared for this moment. We're all stepping into this time of pandemic that has so shifted our society. You know, this, this reckoning awakening moment with George Floyd, Jacob Blake, that, I mean, it's not a new thing, but it's something that has been deeply systemic that we're all really, you know, seeing and beholding just how deep and dark the, not just the pain, but the injustice is. And, and for so many students, I mean, they're trying to make sense of their lives right now and what it means and what the Lord's saying. And, and I mean, they're not looking at the 10 year journey of who they'll become, you know, when they're 30, having walked through this moment, but, but just hearing your story with Will and and I mean, who knows what the Lord is setting in motion and what the Lord is doing in this hour, teaching us in the pain, in the confusion, in the, just the tumult of this moment that's preparing us for something 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. I think that probably every generation goes through that season of life, right? You know, young adulthood and 9-11 9-11 was that for me, right? you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I talked to people who, Columb- the Columbine shootings, you know, that was a, a moment where the direction shifts, like literally yeah. in a day. Um, so everybody goes through a moment. This is one of those moments. It's a prolonged moment. I think what's hard about right now is that uh, so many of our young people lack a, a biblical foundation. They lack a church-fostered, biblical-centered point of view. And so they're encountering some very, very difficult cultural scenarios, but they lack 
a, a biblical point of view. It's so real. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, so, so as they're trying to chart a course for this next stage of their life, you know, they're looking at injustice and I'll say this, like, I believe that this generation, young generation right now was pre-programmed by God for justice. Yes, I, I believe I they, a whole generation is for such a time as for this. Sure. Problem is that, you know, we have an older generation that is, is, uh, they, they have a hard time understanding, you know, how to direct and how to, how to yeah. point this generation in a direction because they, they, you know, they've left the church. They, they, they lack that biblical foundation. Yes. And I'm 40, Daniel, you're 38, Matt, you're 49. That's right. And, you know, I'm an old Gen Xer. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm the youngest of Gen X, and you're old millennial. Yes, technically. Yes, you old millennial. You. <laughs> this is probably the first time I'm thinking about life as a non-young adult, mm. and you know, it's probably the past couple of years I've been thinking about life now not as one who is on the younger half of things. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, and you know, sitting in the middle is so odd because this is probably the first time where I'm feeling irrelevant. I'm feeling the gap between my understanding of what it means to be 20. I mean, this is really the first time I've experiencing this. I mean, both culturally, language, value. And for me, it's a reach. I have to get out of myself, how I see the world, to be able to understand what the Gen Zer and yeah. how they're relating to this moment. And, and, and it has to be translated for me. But, but for the 60-year-old, for, for the ones who, who have mostly related to me as a young person, they're looking at the 20 year old saying like, we don't get Gen Z. We don't get why they do what they do, why they're motivated by what they motivate. And I can't even fully answer that myself. But yet I find myself the bridge. We 40 year olds find ourselves the bridge from the 60 year old to the 20 year olds. And, and yet the significance of the generational transfer is so important yeah. because we have a limited window with the 60 year old fathers and mothers who have institutional memory of both the, the glory and the That's great, to put it. as well as like what didn't work, all the things that they did in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, that really were unto naught, that were the regrets, the failures yeah. that we really have have a limited window to learn. And, and in many respects, the six-year-old is not necessarily talking to the 20-year-old. Or, or if they are, there's this chasm of what's lost in translation. Yeah, And, and so I'm processing all that right now, and mm. I don't have answers. But yeah. I know that we have a limited window to hear from the fathers and mothers that, that really, in a decade and two, may not be around anymore. Yeah, I, I've been really stirred by this for, for the past few years. I think in a similar situation where it's like, as you approach 40, you start to realize I'm no longer in with the 20 year old as far as how I view the world and life. And, and as we're talking, I'm just, I'm just hearing that verse in Psalm 45. I think it is at the end where it says in place of your fathers will be your sons and you'll make them princes in the earth. And, and feeling like this is a moment where the Lord wants to kind of reach towards the fathers grab a hold of what they've carried, what they've sown into, what they've cultivated personally, but, but even more so in a, in a national sense and bridge that to the 20 year olds. Um, just like you're saying, Ty, they're, they're maybe not going to connect, but there's an invitation for some of us to say, this is where it's been. And, and we want to reach, we want to get out of where we're comfortable to impart something to this generation. And, and I was saying to you guys earlier that I feel like it's a generation that is willing to grab hold of it in a, in a 
significant way. You were mentioning that God has given them a grace and marked them for justice. Mm-hmm. And he's marked them for laying down their lives for what is real and what is bigger than themselves, but in, in a, in a biblical, like loving Jesus manner. Yeah. I, I think that what you're talking about, Ty, this, this moment is huge because here's what I see happening is we're, you know, here I am, I'm a Gen Xer. I have the generation that's older than me, the boomers, the, the, the baby boomer generation. And I'm looking back at some millennials that are right behind me, but we're not even talking about millennials anymore. We're talking about the generation after them. But what we've seen happen just in a, a very recent period of time is we're watching in my generation artillery being shot over our heads with this okay boomer mentality. Yes. Where the young generation, they're in in their ripe young age. <laughs> they're displeased with, you know, a lot of things where they feel like, you know, you've got the boomers that are they're not leaving the job market. They're 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 their time has seemingly been extended mm. uh, in, a, in an extraordinary way. And so now we're watching artillery going overhead from the youngest to the oldest. And so we have this position that's underneath that. And number one, Ty, stop wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> okay. Please, I'm, I make my appeal to you. <laughs> I, I, he did bring. I'll pray about it. He, he did bring a bunch of his clothes and tried to pass them on to me. <laughs> <laughs> Num- number two, um, it won't be long uh, before that artillery is is pointed at us. Yeah, yeah. and so I I am watching this moment very closely, but I'll say this to the youngest listeners uh, of the podcast is. Uh, that's a dangerous posture to take to say that, that the old guys have nothing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we don't sit down. We don't want to hear from so you anymore easy. because what you're saying is like, we have a very short window of time to glean whatever we can from those both good and bad. You yes. know, I mean, we need to listen to what they have to say. Not all of it will be right, but we need yeah, to listen to for it. Sure. Um, let me just share this. Cause I think this is a key thing to what we're talking about. This is in Joshua chapter four. So here's the story. You have Moses lead a generation out of Egypt, uh, but there's rebellion and uh, God says, you know, you're going to wander now. You're not going to go into the promised land. And there's two dudes in the group, Joshua and Caleb, and they're young, right? And so at this moment, they're 40 years old, you know, and God says, you know, you're not going to go into the promised land because of the rebellion of that generation. Uh, and he tells Joshua and Caleb, you know, in that moment, it's you, you're going to go in with anyone who's 19 and under. So in that moment, you have two 40 year olds and a big youth group. Wow. Wow. That are going to go into the desert. So now years go by and now God's ready to take a generation into what he had promised in previous generations. But now Joshua and Caleb they find themselves in that Moses position. They're they're now yes. older, but you have an entire generation that was that they, they had not experienced firsthand the Red Sea parting. They had not experienced the bondage of Egypt. They had been living off of the benefit of the sacrifice of those that went before them. They had shoes that didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't, you know, shred to tatters. They were eating manna in the desert. Everything was provided for. And then now they're going to go in. So here God does this amazing thing is he brings them to the Jordan River. 
and you get to Joshua chapter 4, and God splits the Jordan River to take them into the promised land and into their inheritance. And he tells Joshua, he's like, here's what you got to do. Like, the priests are going to take the ark across first, but you got to gather up stones from the middle of the river at flood stage. So, this, this, this is supernatural in its nature. And they pile up these stones. And it's the first time in Scripture that you have this concept of memorial stones mentioned. But I want to read this in Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. It says, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. These are not pebbles. These are big, like, boulder-type rocks, right? He says, According to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones will be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. I love this wow. idea right here yeah. because it is a generational transfer moment. Mm-hmm. Moses' generation is gone. Now those young guys, Joshua and Caleb, they've now moved into their leadership role for a generation, and they bring him to this place. And here's what God's saying. The whole thing is, you guys don't know what I did at the Red Sea, so I'm going to reacquaint you with who I am. And the message of splitting the Jordan is that the same God who split the Red Sea, he split the Jordan River before you, and for the generations to come, he'll split whatever circumstance so your generation wow. will face. And so when the younger ones yes. come, it's so important. The idea of memorial yes. stones are so yes. important. That's why we have to hear yes. from this older generation so that rather than say, okay, boomer, shut up, cancel culture, we don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, there need. needs to be a curiosity yes. among the 20-year-olds that say, what do these stones mean? Yes. What do they mean to you? Yeah. Because I believe God's going to speak so that another generation can be equipped to part whatever circumstances yeah. come So in. good. You know, it makes me think of Psalm 145 and, um, you know, the exhortation of one generation commending your works to another and declaring your mighty acts. And, you know, I'm looking at the 60-year-old fathers and mothers who are looking at the ends of their tenure in ministry and leadership. And there's this real pivot I'm watching where they're not necessarily wanting to lead anymore but they're wanting to father. They, they want uh, yeah. to really give what the Lord's given them in history, in wisdom to another generation. And I mean, I'm just pondering what you're talking about related to OK Boomer. If you guys don't know, it's, it's a euphemism that the, the young person looking at the 60-year-old, you know, like the 18-year-old looking at the 60-year-old saying, you're irrelevant, OK Boomer, with sarcasm, and, and really just a dismissive attitude saying, I have nothing to receive from you. Just with judgment in their heart, they're looking with contempt towards the six-year-old. And and there's just this sentiment, you know, amongst the young where they don't have, the, the six-year-old doesn't have anything they want or need. And they really just want them to get out of the way so that they can be. And I think about the significance of Malachi 4. I feel like every generation, Malachi 4 is significant. Yep. But I feel like right now, with a generation that's 
pretty biblically illiterate. I once I grew up in the church in a time where, where, I mean, people aren't really reading, let alone, I mean, people aren't reading in general, you know, reading as 240 characters, you know, caption of a, <laughs> yeah. of a IG post, you know, oh, an Instagram no. post. God help us. No, I, and it, it, it's really sad because our attention span is now down to TikTok 60 seconds. Um, but like the idea of reading long form, reading books, reading the Bible, I feel like so much of youth group, what people have grown up with has been mostly curated, palatable, bite size, And so it's mostly pre-digested, pre-digested Bible given in morsels to young people. And I would add that this is what we've lost. It's, yeah, there's biblical illiteracy, but whatever felt board scriptures you got when you were a kid, they weren't connected to God's storyline. That Everyone's favorite word now is narrative. There really is a narrative. God yes. has a narrative. that, and, and so like with my story, this is what we found out is that God started something in a previous generation with the intention of completing it in later generations. And that's Hebrews 11, right? He makes promises and says that they they didn't receive what was promised so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. In other words, God's saying like, he'll start something in one generation with the intention of fulfilling it later. It's why he can tell Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. But Abraham didn't see it with his eyes. Yeah. But God, when he does it in Abraham's descendants, it's as though he was doing it for Abraham. And I think that's why there's such a battle at this hour for controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see it it's in, all in out media, cultural narrative. culture. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of sensory input that is geared towards young people to tell them this is the story you need to buy into. And, and so what you're saying is there's family stories that predate us, that, that predate the, the boomer generation, but they've carried them. And there's such a need to reach for the young person to reach for those stories, to become familiar with what did God do in the sixties and seventies and beyond. But, but in, in, you know, the, the recent past, the recent history, um, I, I was reading this morning in Corinthians and Paul's like, you have many teachers, there's many people willing to give you their input, their voice, their ideas, <laughs> but you have very few fathers. And, and so tie to your point, it's like, this is really the family moment where God wants to knit the next generation into the narrative, into the storyline through those deeply meaningful connections. I love it. Thank you guys. Thank you all for joining us today for Revival's Hemming Podcast. Feel free to leave us feedback if you loved it, if there's something that was said that really just moved your heart. Um, let us know. We'd love to hear. Bless you guys. We'll pick up next week with part two of our conversation with Matt Lockett. Oh.